besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. Guthrie has footy in hands. He kicked it back behind. Henderson took it on the bump. Couldn't get rid of Marshall. Stood. Coughed it up. Gray at the 50. Split them wide open. And Motlop will get the first for Port. High ball inside the 50. Dixon arrives. Spoils are made. Gray working underneath. Gathers. Straightens. And goals. Henderson drops the mark. Dixon pinched the footy. Gave it to Motlop, who snapped it through for a goal. Calamitous defensive turnover again. Henderson went to spoil and he left it there for Fantasia, who embarrassed him. And that Geelong defence looks as rickety as could be. Wines to take the choice kick into the 50. It's not particularly well directed at the back. Marshall, an open goal back and then he nailed it. Fumble from... Dangerfield, he spilt the mark, Gray was onto it, gave it to Fantasia, a 55 metre pump, and he got it there on the full, and kicked his third goal, and it's glorious. The ricochet taken by Boak, to Motlop, to Fantasia for his fourth, oh. yes, a goal in every turn for Orazio. The kick goes up to the wing, all that's left is for the siren to sound, around the Adelaide Oval. As the Port fans rise as one and contemplate what is ahead. A preliminary final awaits after they conquered the Cats in emphatic style. This is a buy that I feel like is, is a bonus to us. It's, it's a benefit to us, clearly, you know, when you play a lot of games in a row. And, um, you know, that's probably what the old system looked like a little bit. And now it works, you know, pretty favourably for us. We get to play at home again. We get to play... Um, you know, after being a bit fresh, but there's some risk with that. But it's it's the perfect preparation, hard, tough game of football and a bit of a rest. A perfectly timed run delivers Port Adelaide to another preliminary final on a night where the strategic decisions all came up trumps. Coach Ken Hinckley is our headline guest. Yeah, it was a poor performance, um, but what we're trying to be is an organisation when the, the chips are down, we find a way to fight back and equation in front of us tonight was to and and for the rest of the final series was to try to win three games so that's where we are now as well we've got to try to win the next three games and not many clubs get the opportunity to be in this position um so we we clearly don't take it for granted and we've got an opportunity to dust ourselves off and, and find a way to play our best footy it's definitely um within our control Geelong's frailties on full display in a familiar qualifying final failure. The fine line between being experienced and looking old in sharp focus as the Cats look to avoid a straight sets disaster. The bottom line is we had some opportunities for growth or development, if you will, around the game plan. We had some opportunities around maybe too much offense and not enough defense. David was not able to influence and get the best out of our playing group. I'd like to go through the process. That desire to win a bit of silverware, to win one as a senior coach, it's been awakened a little bit. I did have a conversation with Ross last night, a general conversation for about 45 minutes. 
and Ross is uh, excited to put his hat in the ring once we figure out whatever is the process. Nathan's a terrific experience coach. I speak to uh, speak to Nathan quite uh, quite a bit. Uh, he's a he's a friend of mine, and uh, and a terrific coach. And Carlton sacks another coach with David Teague shown the door. Will the Blues run an exhaustive search of the coaching ranks or appoint the biggest name possible on the first weekend of the finals? This is Crunch Time. The day is dawn bright in the city of churches as Port Adelaide book all the favours possible. It's a bit different to last year, the same result but in a different manner. And Port Adelaide looks better equipped this time around to make a run at the flag. Ken Hinckley coming up on the program straight out of 12. Jared Waitley with you, Justin Lepich is with me. Hello to you, Lepper. Hello, Jared. That was a night where all the choices came up trumps because Alir Alir set the tone and Orazio Fantasia kicked the four. Mm. So you have narrow preliminary final loss and all the hurt that comes with it. You make two big choices, and on the night where it matters, they come up trumps. Well, Port Adelaide just proven how easy list management is. Just put two things in last year prelim. Well, we'll just get to a grand final this year, and it seems that way, doesn't it? Because those two were so influential, and literally mainly in the first half, but Aritio really did the job. They've got a, they've got a really embarrassment of Richards with those small forwards. You don't know whether it's going to be Motlop that could jump up one particular day, whether it's going to be Butters. Rosie was quiet. So they've got so many you know, embarrassment of Richards down there. For a little while, Alir Alir looked like he might break one of the most fabled records in finals history mm. of eight intercept marks, which dates to a certain preliminary final in 1999. But wow. here you are, Lepper, still as the holder of that record. Wow. <laughs> I would have liked for Alir to join you know, that esteemed company with myself and Jeremy McGovern as the most intercept marks. I can't even remember that game. It's quite, actually, I was probably playing on Wayne Carey or something like that. You know. um, yeah, no, it's, uh, he did have an amazing night, though, Alir, didn't he? So. Kane Corns is in Adelaide, uh, the centre of it all. Welcome to you, Kane. Uh, good morning, Jared and Leper, and to everyone. I just uh, walked past Harris Andrews and Zach Bailey in the streets of Adelaide, so they're <laughs> preparing for another mag- uh, massive night here in Adelaide tonight. But the story's Port Adelaide. I mean, it's we can allude to last year, Jared, but this is a completely different scenario. And the players you mentioned have come in. Yes, they have, but. Ollie Wines is a 20% better footballer than what he was this time last year. Willem Drew wasn't even a feature really in any meaningful way this time last year. He's now a really significant part of what they're doing. You've got the two rucks, Laddams and Lysett. So we will speak a lot about Alir and Fantasia, but this group is a much more mature one. And then, as you heard Ken Hinckley say in our opener, that, that week off is a completely different scenario than what it was last week. You've got two really hard games of Bulldogs and Geelong and then a rest before a home prelim final, couldn't be set up any better for them. It does emphasise why that was always the way. You have to earn your week off. Absolutely. And framed the other way is Geelong are up against it, is the insertion of the bye, I said throughout, with not many friends for a while, I'll say, is it perverted the course of football history. This is how it should be. You front up in a qualifying final, you win the rights to the breather, and you condemn the other side to continue to walk this painful path. It's obvious now, isn't it? When you see the way that it should be designed. Now, the reason it was brought in because you had teams resting 13 players in round 23 or round 22 of the last game. But I'm okay with that. If you've earned the right to have your spot guaranteed at round 22 and you you want to rest 13 players, good on you. Good luck. You can do that. You've earned the right to do that. But this is a much fairer system. 
It would have been a different scenario had Geelong come into last night off a break with perhaps you know a bit more training into Duncan and some others in the mix and Dangerfield looked banged up. He would have had the week off and that isn't fair. So I think we're all seeing now um, that it, it is pointless and it's a much fairer system. And Sam Edmund rounds out our quartet on Crunch Time. Hello to you, Sam. Good morning to you all. I hope you're well. Jason Cripps is Port Adelaide's list manager. Jared, what a shrewd operator he is. Alir Alir was due to be a free agent this year. He got in early. Sydney were playing him ruck back forward. They said, this is the way we defend under Ken Hinckley, and he was sold on it. He's so eye-catching now. They call him the chandelier, Jared. It's, uh, he's <laughs> been amazing. And then with Geelong, I tell you, Bill Murray's Grand Dog Day has got nothing on the Cats in finals. So that's eight of the last nine now. Nine week one finals since 2011. Six of them qualifying as well. They've now lost eight of those. And that win was Isaac Smith missing that famous set shot. So the fifth time in the last six seasons as well, it's been their lowest score of the season in so the, the final. There is news around as well. Neil Barm's bound for Adelaide. He is. He's the new head of football at the Crows. So a steady hand, um, a veteran hand, a, a player, a person who has seen it all. He goes across from Richmond, of course, after serving with great distinction there. And um, he joins uh, the Crows, who I think will really benefit from his guidance behind the scenes, I think, more often than being on the tools, that, that steadying voice in the background. What do you think, Kane? I wonder what it means for Adam Kelly, Sam. He's new into the role. Two years he's been there. Yeah, well, without, yeah, without knowing the ins and outs of how it's going to work, and we wait for the Crows to clarify this, I assume Adam Kelly stays on and is on the tool, so to speak, and perhaps with Neil Baum in the background. I'd be surprised if it was the other way around or Adam Kelly was made to make way. I think he stays, but I haven't got clarification on that yet, Kane. You might mm. know more than me. Well, Neil Baum's yeah, role just... at Richmond, Kane, oh, sorry, he's a senior advisor, so I don't think mm. he's even in the soft cap, his position. It's more of a, a role to actually help those within the organisation. So it may be a similar type thing but you're right you don't want to be going to a place and then be threatened by someone who's potentially coming in so I would have thought they've thought about that and also the other thing too I love Barmy and knowing and he's a great people person to have around but he's not your hands-on operator yep. he's not filling out the forms and handing them off to the AFL so that you'll need a worker bee around him also um, that's good in that space. And who hasn't in these times thought, I'll just grab this roast chook for lunch a bit peckish and I don't have much in the fridge or the cupboard at home and uh, it cost you your final series. Unbelievable. They are very well seasoned, the roast chickens at Coles, uh, Jared. That's what Nick Hine <laughs> thought anyway, because he went to the Altona Gate Coles to get a roast chook. He was there for all of two minutes. He did the right thing. He checked in while he was there. It's a tier two exposure site. Incredibly unlucky. Now, he didn't break AFL rules, and the players had been told, stay away from these mass shopping centres. Altona Gate is that, but we're told he took a side entrance, a private entrance to Coles there. Didn't go in the main shopping complex at all. And he's just been incredibly unlucky. So he doesn't make the trip down to Tasmania. He doesn't play in the game tomorrow against the, the Western Bulldogs. Yeah, For a roast chicken. I hope it was a good one. Well, you got to eat. Well, you got to eat. It was a takeaway lunch and he's paid the price. So you've got to feel sorry for him. But um, tier two, exposure site. We know the rules that comes with that. Let's delve a little deeper into Port Adelaide. And we'll do Geelong shortly. Ken Hinckley's going to be our headline guest. So, Kane, this from here, are they? did you leave last night feeling like they're a better chance to win the flag now than they were the corresponding night last year. Yeah, I felt like I left the ground thinking that's it. I've just watched a premiership side. Now, you're going to need to jump a hurdle that they haven't jumped for a long, long time to be able to do that. And it's going to be a really good opponent. But 
the way that they played in all in all facets of the game, offensively, defensively, and at the contest, it was the most comprehensive performance. And I watch every game that Port Adelaide play that I've seen in a long time uh, with the stakes that were, were up for grabs. I thought um, they were ferocious with their pressure, seven forward half goals. That is the the mode that they want to play. They got the game on their terms right from the start. Their, their midfield was was phenomenal. And we can speak about those numbers through there and the players that, that go through there. And then defensively, as we've spoken about, I think their, their back six is unheralded. Not a lot of people have spoken about the likes of Jonas. Not many people speak about McKenzie. Not many speak about Burton. Burn Jones is the best and fairest winner all Australian. They are stacked back there in their back six. Their back six is as good as any. And then, as Leper alluded to, they're small forwards. There's, there's six of them that can hurt you on any given night. So... Um, in all three areas of the game, they just look like a premiership team right now to me. The other thing too, Kano, watching it, and it's probably more evident being there, but the the run, and you mentioned Ollie, like Boke's always been good in, in this space, but the, the run of Ollie Wines just, he's in one contest, the ball's kicked, and he shows up almost instantaneously there. That is just so evident that he's improved so much in that space. They took uh, 107 marks last night. That's up on their average of 94 for the year. Their, their, their spread and their run to provide options. It was the difference for me at ground level Geelong was so easily shut down. They, they didn't challenge Port Adelaide at all with their ball movement. It was it was short and it was wide, and then there was not much else. Where When Port Adelaide were held up, there was a real work rate to get free, to work together, to provide options for that uncontested mark. And I reckon that took a lot of juice out of Geelong early. Nothing worse as a playing group when you're just chasing the whole... You're chasing, you're shutting down options, you're standing the mark, you're, you're covering outlets. It's... It's a really taxing way to play. And with Geelong's age demographic, I thought Port Adelaide really put the miles into them. And I reckon that was a, a focused effort to do that, particularly in the first half. Now, Ken parked this conversation last night. He wouldn't buy into it. The forward mix. So Arazio Fantasia does what he does. The knee's going to be fine, Kane. Mitch Georgiades, he's definitely going to be fine for the preliminary final with his hamstring. So where do they go from here in terms of the forward mix? Is it one or the other, or will they pull a lever somewhere else? You, you couldn't. You couldn't make a case provided Aratio gets up. And even if he does, I can't make a case for Mitch Georgiades. It was a blessing um, that Georgiades got injured, unfortunately. Nothing, obviously, it's heartbreaking for him, and I understand that. But for their mix mm. up forward, the three, it just looks so much better with the three tall forwards because you get the contest. I think when they play four, they do have a, a nasty habit of getting in each other's road. Um, but the pressure that's provided by that extra small at ground level, and that was evident last night with their forward 50 tackling and, and the way that they pressured Geelong. And, and really, uh, Geelong, look, didn't, didn't they just look second rate as a result of that pressure? So you can't make a case for to play Jeez. four next week. And, and Marshall was, was really good. So, you know, not massive numbers, but played an important role. I think he keeps his spot. 21 games he's played, Jared. There's a hard luck story every year. This might be this mm. might be this year's one. It might be. So Port Adelaide's course, where, where they left off last year, uh, they lose to your Richmond Leper, the, the team of the the team of the age. Yep. They stretch Richmond the whole way in what was an agonising finish for them, losing by a kick and probably panicking through the last five or six minutes and not giving themselves the, the best chance of, uh, of overhauling the deficit. They presented them to the new year. I think most people believe they're going to be a top four team. They don't. They have losses to West Coast, Brisbane, Bulldogs, Geelong and Melbourne. They're the five losses for the season. They fall out of the top four for a, for a stretch through the middle chunk and then they climb their way fifth to fourth to third to second to a home preliminary final as they win seven in a row. It, it feels like they now are the team 
that we broadly expected them to be coming into the year. Yeah, and I think they've won the health race this year. I mean, every team goes through a patch where you're not going to have your best team out there. I think they had theirs, I mean, Kane might be able to creep me if I'm wrong, around mid-season, and just bit by bit, every player started getting back to a point now that you've really only got Georgiades as a potential 20, first 22 player. So it's a great position to be in, as opposed to Geelong, it happened at a really poor time about three or four weeks ago when it happened to them. So they're winning that health battle um, all the way home, which is, I think, one of the most critical ones to win if you're going to go to a flag. And their two recruits, obviously, that they've brought in the off-season is the difference in their team. They've got an interceptor now. Last year, you could pretty much know that it doesn't really matter if their backs had the ball in their hands. Um, they weren't big interceptors. They were spoilers mainly. And now you've got that part of the game fixed um, and I think they move the ball better than they have too. So there's, there's, there's parts of their game that are better, and they're match hard. And I think even Ollie Wines is better. He already was a star of the game, but he's become uh, you know the next level again. So they're in, they're in a great space. There's no reason why they shouldn't get to grand final day. It'd have to be another hard luck story or another uh, just having a bad day, which you can have. Um, but other than that, they're, they're primed. With this week off, they're primed ready to go to Perth to play that grand final. They actually have a terrible record against the Brisbane Lions, but that's a conversation for another day if that is happens to be the way that it shakes out. Um, just in the, the sense of timing around it, Kane, so last year they led the comp. Every week of the season they are on top of the ladder. They ran the table from that perspective and came up just short. So, And I, we've all had our doubts throughout that middle stages of the season, but it does feel like the perfectly timed run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've had my doubts as well at, at sort of many occasions this year I've said that they're not they don't look like a top four side and that they're not worthy of being spoken about as a top four side but as Richmond have proven and other teams more of those experienced teams it's not so much about what you're doing at round eight nine ten it's if you can hang in there and beat the teams you need to beat and then time your run with the way that they've done it and get in really good form at the right time and get your, your, your players but there's not a player on their list apart from George Yardis, that they'd really, they'd love to have out there. Hamish Hartlett, you know, maybe at his absolute best, but he's, but he's past that. So, I mean, what other team has that? What, what other team right now has, you know, their best 21 players to pick from all fit and with enough game time and conditioning behind them? No one. So, and home finals with the way that the COVID situation has turned out. So, as I said, um, it's perfectly positioned for them and it would be a failure if they didn't make the grand final from here. There is one thing that stands in the way potentially as a snag, Jared. You mentioned the pre-finals buy might be dead, but it's not really. It's just been pushed down the road. So I wonder how what Ken Hinckley, I can't wait to speak to him later, philosophically thinks of potentially one game in three weeks. Yes, I guess that's going to potentially be the same for both teams. So you're not playing teams Mm. on uneven preparations where both Port Adelaide and Brisbane lived it last year where they win the qualifying final, have the additional week off, and then both lose Mm. the prelims. But we've never been here before, No, no, we're in uncharted territory Mm. on that front. But it doesn't compromise the prelim, at least. Correct. And we'll do the Geelong side of the equation next. And Ken Hinckley has straight out of 12. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. And for Red Rooster, of course, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Ken Hinckley coming up on Crunch Time. Justin Lepich, Kane Corns in to analyse all that transpired last night. Josh Barnes began his story in the Herald Sun today. Ask any Geelong fan and they would tell you they weren't surprised. With the greatest of respect to Josh, I could not have been more shocked with the way that they played last night and just the absolute fundamentals which 
abandoned them and symptomatic of it was Lockie Henderson, who just couldn't catch the footy, couldn't protect the footy, couldn't get rid of the footy. And they preyed upon him. So, Leper and Kane, Le- Leper, you first. What did you see in Geelong last night? I think one thing that if you look back even on the way the Richmond teams have played Geelong, um, particularly through the final series, is, is a chaos game. Which is like, What does that mean? More of a ground-level type game, bring the ball, and then just through a mass of bodies and speed around the contest, that that starts to rattle players. You know, if you see a lot of players coming at you, flashing past you, you tend to flinch a bit more. It's hard to get the ball away. And then slowly parts of your game start to fall apart. And that's what it looked like. It really looked like Port Adelaide just out-hunted, out-wilder. And then eventually, you know, the old saying you're seeing goes. It, it becomes a little bit of that too. So even when you do have time and space, you rush your disposal because of the p- potential perceived pressure that's coming your way. So it really looked like an old Richard team playing Geelong, really, for me, the way Ken Hinckley set it up. Um, so th- that that wasn't a surprise. you know. And they took the game on with speed. And one thing with Geelong, they, they loved the time in possession game. There was, there was a really critical moment in the game. Um, the ball was switched. Uh, Geelong player kicked it around about the centre-half back position. College Jasney had the ball. He just had to go. He had Hawkins. He, the, the screen was panned perfectly at the back. Um, and you could see there was a handball on to go. And I even pause this and go back and I showed the dear wife and she hates it when I do this. She's like, what are you doing rewinding all the time and showing me stuff with footy? But um, he, they just had to go down the middle of the ground and they would, it would have been one handball run and the defender would have either had to come at him or, or just kick it to Hawkins one-on-one goal. College as he went straight off the mark, he, he absorbed about, I don't know, eight seconds. And the other thing is when he took that mark, Alirio was right there. Next to him. So it gave Aaliyah enough time to run all the way back. Guess who he kicked it to? Aaliyah. Takes another intercept mark. It was like, this is where, for, for Geelong to me, this is where they're going to have to take a few more risks. They're just going to have to see that open handball through the middle of the ground and just give that one and go. And just and make the next guy solve the next problem. You know, don't, don't have to set the ground up perfectly with every play. You know what I mean? So I think they're going to have to unravel some of that decision-making. And once they hit the front half of the ground, Geelong's fine. They, they, they tend to break the lines and, and go in with speed. But everything in the back half is so methodical. I just think maybe at times they're just going to have to just give a handball. And if the guy's got three metres or three steps to make a decision, that must be enough. Because you can't go, well, I'm only going to give it to him if he can mark it and if he can slow down and control it. Well, Sometimes you're just going to have to give him a bit less time, or a bit, or put it a little bit uncontrolled, and be comfortable being um, out of control. Kane, well, I've never seen them look that jumpy. Um, and I mean, it started early. You know, even with with Hawkins, you take you take a contested mark 35 meters out directly in front in the opening stage of the game. He goes back and nails that. Then you, you sort of dust yourself. Oh, we're into this game. The minute Tom misses that, I'm I'm sure he's thinking, oh, zero goals five last time. I was in this position against Trent McKenzie, and that was that was really deflating. They missed a couple of others early in the game, which hurt. But isn't it funny when your good players don't play well, your next level um, they almost seem like degraders, don't they? I mean, when when Dangerfield and Selwood and Cameron and Hawkins and Rowan they're, they're all flying, Menegola and Guthrie are all flying. Then you know the likes of Henry looks like a great player. Close was good last night, but. Then O'Connor's, Atkins, and these players, Stanley, like these lesser lights, they rise to the occasion. But when you get performances like you got from Dangerfield, Selwood, Menegola, I mean, Guthrie had 17. He, he averages over 30 this year. Rowan didn't touch the footy until they had to panic move him behind the ball. He had two touches at half time. Cameron couldn't get into it. Hawkins, I've spoken about. 
you know, well beaten in the ruck with Stanley and Blixarf's no influence. They, they look like a really ordinary football side. So you compare Geelong's A-graders to Port Adelaide's and the performance, you know, Boat, 32 Wines, we've spoken about Aaliyah, her Fantasia, you know, and then the lesser lights rise to that occasion and find their level. But yeah, it was, was um, a very un-Geelong-like performance. And once again, unfortunately, it was in a big final. So here's Chris Scott at his press conference. Yeah, the stakes were high, Mitch. So it was very disappointing um, not to deliver. And you know, the stakes were even higher, um, given it was Tom's milestone game. It was, um, yeah, it was a poor performance. Virtually everything that could go wrong did go wrong. While they were able to get the ball going through the middle at times quite easily. Yeah, that was a really disappointing part of the game for us. I mean, even if you look at the first quarter, a uh, strong part of our game over the years, um, and at, when we're playing our best, um, even now, it should be a strong part of our game. We just don't hand the opposition easy goals. Um, so there were two parts to that. We um, made some uncharacteristic decisions um, to give them really easy looks, probably when, um, if anything, we're on top of the game, and, but they're able to get some easy goals, which always hurts you. Uh, and it was it was uncharacteristic for us uh, how easily um, Port were able to get the ball from our forward 50. I think we had three forward 50 tackles uh, for the night, which is um, diabolical, really. Um, we obviously kicked the ball to Aaliyah. He played well. Um, and then in the second half of the game, uh, we had no choice but to go away from the way we normally play to try to generate something, uh, but that didn't work either. So that does expose your defence a little bit. Um, so th- they'd probably be the three areas. Um, Josh, we, we kicked it to them in our back half, which is uncharacteristic. The ball bounced out of our forward half. And we you know, didn't didn't challenge their intercept defenders and ground level players well enough. And, and then we opened ourselves up in the, with, the, uh, with the desire to try to score, um, which is always a risk you take when you need to turn things on their head. So that's how it was prescribed by the Geelong coach. As Jared Healy was with us in the call last night, Kane, and he did ponder the question, is this the crumbling of the empire? How does we've, that sit with you the next day? Well, we've pon- we, I remember being in this exact seat last year and we pondered the same thing, didn't we? And they made a grand final. It doesn't feel like that to me, though, does it, Jared? It doesn't, doesn't feel like the same team that was able to bounce back last year and, and be 15 points up. In grand final, on grand final day, just without Tom Stewart, you're not going to get him back and how important he is. And Selwood's a year older and, and others are a year older. And, um, you know, Cameron unfortunately hasn't had probably the opportunities that they would have liked, particularly last night. It, it just doesn't feel like a side that can bounce back. And they're going to come up against a, a really good opponent and a red hot opponent who'll be coming off a win. Um, that week off we've spoken about, jumping on a plane and, and spending three and a half hours in the air before sort of settling yourselves and quarantining in, in Perth and all of that. Um, the, the path is a lot harder, I think, than what it was last year. So, Lepper, you said the unreplaceable magnet. It wasn't very comforting at the time, but you said the Tom Stewart magnet could not be replaced. Did yeah. their season end at the training session when he broke his foot? I knew you'd remember that. There's <laughs> said a lot of things that year, but oh, he's not replaceable. How do you, like, take a Lear, a Lear out of that game last night and you think about what could have been the possibilities for Geelong in that first half if he wasn't, if some of those balls just hit the ground. And the small forwards are able to swoop on it. Um, it. It changes the game to have someone of that dominance. Um, and he's of that category, of course. So, um, no, you can't replace someone like that. And that is a, that is a trouble. And, and I spoke briefly before about the ability not to run and carry. Well, Stuart provides a lot of that too. So it's, it's a very hard magnet to replace. Um, 
And just sometimes bad luck happens at the wrong time. And that's my fear with Geelong is just everything starting to stack up against them a little bit. Not that their team's no good. Or I'm, I'm, I'm not a doomsday. Like their list is no good and they can't go anywhere. It's just that at this point, um, the worst time of the year for everything to go wrong. And unfortunately, it is for them. So how big is – so they'll be Friday night in a semi-final for the decisions that they would face if they went out in straight sets or whether they are able to recalibrate. How, how big is it, Kane? It, it, this, this might be the fork in the road. What do you do? I mean, there's no, there's no real options for them. Um, they're, they're, they're a little bit similar to West Coast for me. I don't have their draft history right in front of me, but um, I can't imagine there's too many first-round draft picks in the last eight years on that list. So they've – they're all in with this group. They went even harder last year with Higgins and Smith and Cameron players that are 30 or nearing 30. So so what options do you have other than to eventually get into a position where you gut the, the playing squad? So you'd, you'd give it another crack because you have to, and you've still got Hawkins and Dangerfield and Cameron and enough star players on your list. You, you, they deserve the right to go again should they go out in straight sets. Similarly, West Coast do and... Similarly, Richmond do, but at some point it comes a situation where North Melbourne get really close, a couple of prelim finals, you're around the mark for a while, eighth, ninth, and eventually there's no escaping the inevitable that um, what makes successful teams and premiership teams is built at the draft, and unfortunately the Cats just don't have that young talent coming through. And you can still be competitive. Like One thing Geelong have always been is in finals. They've always been competitive. They're a great team winning enough games through the home and away. But you are always got to ask yourself, is that midfield we're coming up against, is the Port Adelaide group and the Melbourne group and let's say even the Lions group, if you talk about talent and hunger and ready to go, you might be the third best. So let's say Geelong's saying, well, we think we're the third best. We can still pinch one. But then you're going, but oh, does that mean you, do you start again from if you think you're the third best? But if you're on the way up, maybe you think we only have to add a couple of things like Port did last year. But Geelong are the reverse. They're probably thinking we're third best, but we could be going backwards. So then do you go, okay, what do we do? Do we just do we cut the whole lot out and start again, or do we just give it another – do we go softly with it? They're really difficult decisions to make, which they'll find. And even if they win the flag, they'll have to still face this decision, I think, in the offseason. If it's not this offseason, I can guarantee you it's, it's next because Selwood and Gosling, they're only getting a, a little bit older and they'll need more support. Um, around them. So um, yeah, it's tough. It's a, I, I, it'd be a, a really difficult thing to be a list manager and work out when you've got all these numbers, when to pull the trigger to go right. Well, Jared, they're starting 22 this weekend, easily the oldest put out there amongst the finalists. So they're two years older than the next oldest in Brisbane. Games played average of 161. That's 40-odd more than the next most experienced. Again, Brisbane. Their draft picks going forward, which sounded good on paper in the Tim Kelly deal and everything that happened with, with uh, the, their recent exchanges, but they're pushed out now to 30, 31, and 35. So by the time father-son's come in, they're all mid-30s pushing into the 40s. Jared Healy did say last night, he went on, he was with you obviously on AFL Nation and then went into for first crack. He thought that they'd tipped over and that a rebuild wasn't far away, but it's hard to know how they're going to engineer a rebuild when they don't have the tools at their disposal to do it. And just in regards to the here and now, this loss brings them a step closer. Now, there is a lot to play out, but to the ultimate nightmare scenario come finals time that they'd envisage from the get-go a trip from Perth 
to Brisbane, either with another bout of quarantine again or a day trip, which would be a nightmare and perhaps impossible to do from one side of the country to the other. And obviously Brisbane have to win um, tonight to make that happen and Geelong have to win their semi-final. But still, it's there on paper and there's no answer to that at the do moment. Do you think, and you could probably answer this, Katie, so by GWS digging, digging their heels in on Jeremy Cameron, mm. do you think that could be the mm. difference between Geelong having to decide of making a different rebuild decision? Because what picks were they that they, they lost? Which if they... If Giants took that uh, first-round pick that they would have got, Geelong would still have a couple of good draft picks, wouldn't they, as well? So maybe they're thinking, well, we've still got two good kids coming through and Jeremy Cameron. Maybe, again, this changes the whole perception of what you could possibly do. Yeah, so they traded all three first-round selections. 13, 13 15, 15 20, 20. Yep, and yep. a future fourth-round pick as well. And and they're under pressure to keep guys like Jordan Clark, Quinton Arkle and the like, who, who might not hang around. They hung around last year. Are they patient enough to hang around for another 12 months with no guarantees? I guess, Sam, the, the questions. So if they were to go out in straight sets, you've got a player like Guthrie who's out of contract now. Now, we all we all love Cam Guthrie. He's been such a consistent player. But but does that decision just say, well, he's 28, 29, I'm going to guess. He wants a four-year deal and he, he'll want big money because he deserves big money. Do we start just a, a soft rebuild where, yeah, we let Guthrie go, uh, we'll get a – compensation first round draft pick him and just start doing those types of things now if you win and you go through another grand final of course you you know you probably that decision is we sign up cam so there's there's a couple of things that they could do but they don't have many options because of the the trade that leper alluded to it makes it high stakes next friday night so we'll just simply put our conversation on hold and pick it up next week on crunch time once we've seen what yep. plays out uh, and what Geelong's fate is from there. Uh, we're going to talk Carlton the week that they have had shortly, and then Ken Hinckley will be our headline guest in uh, at the start of our second hour. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. On Crunch Time, you're with Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Kane Corns, and Justin Lepich. Carlton have been the biggest conversation of the week outside of the finals as they sack David Teague. And then the, the president, it was Clarkson or Lyon. He threw Buckley into the mix last night, although Nathan Buckley's team says he's not coaching next year. Justin Lepich from our side of the fence, how did you absorb, how did you observe the latest coach sacking? Uh, well, I, I guess it was long and drawn out. I think we all kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, I guess which part of it? Do you want to look at? Um, I mean, they did a review. Um, it didn't. It, I guess from an outsider's perspective, um, if I'm just looking at the people involved, I don't think the way the review was done would could make people feel comfortable. Um, so, for instance, like David T got sacked on a Thursday or Friday, uh, and it could have been because of the board meeting, was at a certain time or not. But I, I guess one thing, and I understand boards meet every month, but if, for instance, if I had a player that was struggling emotionally and and said it publicly. Um, and said, well, I, I don't have a meeting with them for another few weeks, so I can't get to the bottom of it, I'd be derelict in my duty not to make them feel better and feel more at comfort and more at ease. So, But at, at, the, at the senior level, it's more like I will talk about it at the board meeting in the next three or four weeks. Is that good enough in the modern day? And as we talk about with ownership, and I always bring this up a lot, when you have ownership in a footy club, this doesn't happen because there is none of that, or oh, the subcommittee will meet or the board will meet in four weeks. It's like... The owner's in there. He knows every part of it. He's making the key decision. There's no big, long review. It's his money, his decision, and it would get done more efficiently. And he probably doesn't have to tell you why he's making his call. You know, he'd be strong, strong, strong on the point. So from a, from that part of it, 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 did, it didn't serve David Teague very well. I think emotionally it didn't help him at all. Um, and 
and I guess, I guess, but again, that's the process of footy clubs, like it or not. Um, and you can hide behind committees and subcommittees and boards and decisions and 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 pieces of paperwork that's done over the course of two months, and and that's what tends to happen at AFL level. Does hindsight tell you that the incoming president was was sacking David Teague from the day that he called the review? Well, we've sort of lived the last three months, and then I'm trying to work back. I think it was three months ago we spoke about this and had that senior players went to Luke Sayers to talk about it, which might have instigated the start of it or vice versa. And I was pretty strong at the time, well, that's not what players should be doing. You know, I've always been in my time in footy is that if you're not happy, you leave. You don't whinge about the other people. You've got your decisions to make. Don't go trying to manipulate situations in the background to make things happen. You either like what's happening at your football club or leave. That's that's a simple. And look, you can if someone asks your opinion, you can give it, but you don't go scathing on people because everyone's trying to do the right thing. But so you don't want a culture because also don't you don't want to create a culture that does that where everyone's sort of really potting each other. So you don't want to create that particular part of. So it started sort of then and then went into a review and. And and so so it's played it's been played out really long not the way I not the way I think anyone wants it to be and like I'm I'm thinking of a guy like Brad Lloyd now whose name was mentioned you know sacked in out in out now he's in you know so it, it, now he's it, guys like that still have an emotional toll to get through like as well even even though he's survived um, what's gone on so it, it is a difficult time they're going to have to spend a couple of months just rebuilding that culture and rebuilding that trust within the organisation because um, they have to. They've gone through eight coaches in 20 years, you know. Um, it, it, it just, you just have to do it because it, there's just been this repetitive cycle of people coming in and out and you've probably got your head in the sand if you think that people will just rock up. Well, people forget quickly, let's be honest. <laughs> A lot of people move on, but they'll still, ha- they'll still remember things in the past. But, you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, whoever this next coach is, is not just the ninth coach two years down the track because that's just sort of been the long history for them. What do you think of the idea of the coach's approval rating through anonymous surveys of the players? Well, anonymous surveys serve a lot of good purpose, but they also serve the ability for people that have gripes to just, you know, to basically spell them out. Um, you know, and they may not be – it may be because they're leaving the footy club and they think, oh, well, might as well just throw a couple more under the bus. So you just got to be really careful with those that sort of information and – and what's done, because um, as I think Luke says, said himself, he had 25 bits of information. Um, how many are you going to act on um, of the 25? That means it's still up to his discrepancy, what he acts on at the end of the day. So then you say, well, what, do you, what do you do the review from the start if you're not going to do every one of the 25? So, um, yeah. What approval rating do you reckon you need these days, Sam, to, to hold your senior coaching job if you're under review? Well, the word has it, Jared, the authors had it at 80% staff and admin for for a coach to remain and to be successful now this is just the murmurings from the club that the at, sat somewhere between it's a pretty big discrepancy 30 and 50 percent from the players and the staff and they interviewed 92 people for this review that as Justin Lepich said made 20 recommendations and on the recommendations or the key findings we heard as outsiders there were only five four of them were positive one of them was negative and it pertained to confusion, which is a pretty damning word to come out of the playing group, which it obviously has around the game plan and the lack of defensive accountability, again, centering on the game plan that the players told the, re- the review authors that the coach, David Teague, spent too much time focusing on offense. So four of the five that we saw overwhelmingly positive and they were more positive around Brad Lloyd's role as head of football. Kane Little, we know when it comes to the finances, the club has done a great job. So it's sheeted home to one man, seemingly, and one key element of his job 
90% of his job, that being the game plan, and he's been sacked. Well, the, a few things for me. I reckon if you get 50%, you're doing well because you drop half the players every week and the half are playing. So half of them probably don't like you one week and then like you the next. There's so access you, to grind everywhere. You, you, there is. There's access to grind everywhere. So you've just, you just got to see through all that sort of stuff. And that's what's really important for a board um, is just to, just to nail through some of that stuff into why people are saying what they're saying. But I guess at the end of the day, when you say confusion, say, with let's say we've got confused in anything in life, um, why something's happened. Well, it's either one or two things. The guy teaching you is no good and he doesn't know what he's doing, or you just don't want to listen, or you don't want to do the work and you don't want to understand because you just, you just want to go out and do what you want to do. And if you've got an environment then which promotes that behavior that you don't have to listen, you don't have to read the game plan, you don't have to play that particular way, then you can say quite simply, I'm confused because you are. Because So which one is it? Is it the chicken or the egg when it comes to this stuff? And it's even with things like defence. What does defence mean? To, 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 well, people would say, well, it's tackling. Or is it? Is it, t- is it working together? Is it team? T- Are you telling me David T did not have a defensive plan where one person had to work with another person? Well, then is it we're not working together? Well, then what needs to happen? Do we have to bring someone in, an external, to, to work at how do we communicate together? Are we too quiet? Are, there's, so there's so many factors to this that I think that when I read these words, like even defence, that are underlying that, you go, well, it's just not as simple as defence. There's so many things, which, are, which is communication is defence. So there's so many factors below mm. all this. Justifiable sacking, Kane? Yeah, it was. As you said, it was always going to end this way, but... At the end of the day, the, the coach is responsible for some massive failings this year. And, and, and you can argue about the treatment, and I 100% agree that the treatment was ordinary and um, they, didn't, they didn't treat the people of the Carlton Football Club with the respect that they deserve. But when you're not AFL standard, when you um, can't instruct your players, when you appear confused, when you are asked hard questions in the media about the failings of the on-field performance and you can't answer them with any clarity... And it um, and it changes from week to week, and it's uh, the messaging all year coming from David T was, was confusing for me, and it was one every time he was asked about the defensive setup, it was never addressed, it was never put on the agenda as a concern. You can date it right back to March. This club wasn't AFL standard, and you could have shown clip after clip after clip of a lack of effort. Um, a, a lack of the ability structurally to defend the ground, and they're the worst defensive team in the competition. And for a group that they expected to play finals, it's not good enough. And as hard as it is, that falls on the coach. Then you've got the lack of development. There was confusion, I thought, over selection, and you can question some of that. At the end of the day, that falls on the coach. So it was the right move to sack him. The way they went about it was wrong. Yeah, but you got you got to work out what his role is. I mean, at the end of the day, this is not 1980s. The coach isn't the recruiter. He's not the de- – you mentioned development. That's not David Teague's role. This is where you'd be really careful and just make sure. Like, I don't know one coach when he says, talk about your defense, he goes, okay, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Uh, the midfield is supposed to play on the short 44. He wasn't there today. Like, they don't delve into their game plan. It's not what they do. And they don't have to. They don't owe the media or anything to tell us what they're doing on the footy field. So it just drives me head in a little bit. When, it, when you say the words, everything comes back to the coach. It ain't the 80s, mate. It, it, is, mm. it is a different world. You've got to be more specific on everyone's role and what they're doing and what they're responsible for. And I've said it many times. You yeah, know, but it's, it's not anymore, mate. I promise you, it's not. And and this is the this is the notion we've all got to get our head around. The minute we all start saying coach only, your team's done. We're going to keep this conversation going in a moment, and Ken Hinckley will join us in a few minutes' time. You're listening to Crunch Time, Justin Lepich and Kane Corns. What will the Blues do next? Crunch Time is for Werribee Jeep 
and Caroline Springs Jeep, they stock the all-new Jeep Compass for your convenience. Crunch time on the first weekend of this final series. It has seen Port Adelaide 43-point winners over Geelong. And two to come in Launceston, one this afternoon, the first of the elimination finals when Sydney and the Giants meet. Tomorrow it'll be the Bulldogs in Essendon and tonight back in Adelaide, Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions for the right to host to host preliminary finals in a couple of weeks' time. Crunch time is for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs Jeep and Werribee Jeep. Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich, Kane Corns and Sam Edmund with you, Ken Hinckley's going to join us in five minutes' time. We're chatting Carlton. So the past is one thing, the future is the next. Sam, it's been interesting to hear the, the new president come in. Mm. Obviously, they made a run at Alistair Clarkson. The Ross Lyon work, has it would seem to have been seeded for a number of months. And the president declared that he had had a lengthy conversation with Ross on Thursday night. Yep. And then he threw Nathan Buckley's into the mix in name into the mix last night. And everyone can have their own thoughts on why he would do that. Well, Leper can speak to this perhaps better than any of us. I wonder what the mood is like amongst the potential coach senior coaches out there at the moment. Are they looking at this like this is a total sham? Why would we put our name forward and go through a process when we're convinced Ross Lyon gets the job? We did ask um, back on the press conference day um, initially with the, Luke Sayers, had he spoken to Ross Lyon? And he said he'd be negligent if he hadn't been looking at other options. So I think clearly you can, and there's been lots of murmurings with this, assume that conversations and Ross Lyon's been sounded out now for several several weeks depending on who you speak to he's been speaking himself like he's almost had the job at times in the public space Ross Lyon so um, Nathan Buckley now we read Jay Clark reporting that um, his management Craig Kelly has relayed to the Blues that no Nathan Buckley will not be pursuing the job um, Michael Voss I think at the moment it almost say impossible um, single percentage chance and we know he was linked with the job last time round, and it didn't end well for him. And he might be still have some bad blood towards the process that was conducted for him when David Teague was appointed. It all points to Ross Lyon. It just absolutely does. Even though the club had misgivings for a number of reasons, the way that uh, he talked over David Teague when David Teague was still the coach on footy classified, the stuff, how it ended at Fremantle as well off the field, um, the investigations and the settlements that took place there, haven't exactly um, seen the Carlton board doing cartwheels and they're largely divided on whether Ross Lyon should be their coach or not going forward. But I think if you're looking at Luke Sayers as the president, the man steering the ship, and you're joining the dots, he absolutely wants Ross Lyon to coach the footy club, Jared. So, Kane, as you spoke with Luke yesterday, have you formed the view, are they running an exhaustive process to appoint Ross Lyon or are they running an actual exhaustive process? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're running a semi-pseudo-exhaustive process when they've probably already nearly got to the stage of appointing him. So the, the language is interesting. We want an experienced coach. I mean, that's come through a number of times. So if it's not Nathan Buckley, if it's not Alistair Clarkson, who um, we have said, we've heard has said no, but until I hear that actually from Alistair Clarkson, I'm still still semi-nervous to completely rule him out after what's gone on. It's, it's Clarkson or Lyon. Um, for me, um, and we'll wait and see, but it's all going that way, isn't it? I'd be surprised. How many experienced coaches are left? Choco is probably there, Kane. Yeah. I don't think, will they go down that path? I don't know if there's anyone really left in the industry still working that's, we put in that category. So if, just run the hypothetical with me, Lepra. It doesn't have to be you. It can be somebody of your ilk. Mm. If you were rung by Carlton and asked to enter the process, 
Would you enter the process or would you go, oh, come on, I'm not participating in what I think is probably a sham? Oh, in the in the actual coaching process, well, I guess if you're, I guess if you're using your common sense and you're watching the timeline, look, Michael Voss is a good example, as you said, went through it last time at the at the, at the eleventh hour, sort of got pipped by the Teague train at the time, and and he was a bit, you know, so coaches do, you know, read the tea leaves a little bit. So, what do you think? I mean, common sense to tell you if you're reading the tea leaves, it's going a certain way. Um, so you would well, you wouldn't just be putting your hand up, going, oh, where do, where's the application form? I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll fill it out tomorrow. But you want to know a little bit more about what's going on because it does feel like it is going a certain way and, and it's going down Ross's path. And, look, that's fine. He might be the best coach and he might be the best thing for them. If you talk about some of the issues that they do face at the moment about, you know, getting on the job, getting – he's got, you know, great history in just getting guys doing what they're doing without complaining, basically, in, in short form. So he might be very good for them, but they probably thought like that with Mick Mouldhouse too. Many, not that long ago. So, you know, it has got history on both sides. How, how much has the game changed? So Ross Lyon hasn't coached for, this will be his second year out, so two years. How much would the game have changed? Now, I know Ross is still sort of plugged in and he's still been working in the media and not, not doubting any of that. But when you step out for two years, I mean, where, where, where's the use-by date in terms of how long you've been out of the game for if you are the one shuffling the magnets and responsible for game plans? Oh, and all? It depends what sort of coach mm. you are. And, and getting back to Kane's point before, maybe Ross is that guy that is much more hands-on than most other senior coaches and wants to shuffle every magnet and make every rotation and... You know, and do ninety percent of the grunt work. Whereas you might get other coaches that are a little bit more managers by trade, and 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 delve and and you know give those uh, key responsibilities to others. So um, if he is the hands-on guy, he want to he obviously want to you know, be upskilled a little bit. I've been out of it twelve months, and you start to feel just you know that mm. if I go went back in tomorrow, I just have to get back in the rhythm again. Yeah. And basically, back in the rhythm of working every day. <laughs> That's be the, that would be the hardest thing to get back in the rhythm too. But, but you do. You just got to be aware of that. You have been out for a little bit, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Nothing that Ross Lyon couldn't yeah. couldn't manage. Is Ross the right guy for Carlton, Kane? Well, he's got the he's got the traits that I think they need. I, I've heard Sam I, I, that they're a really sensitive group, and, and what does that mean? Uh, how do they respond to strong feedback? They're, they're going to have to, mm. if, if that's the case, toughen up a little bit with with their attitude because he's going to be as demanding as anyone. But I think that is what they need, and even from the review findings, that standards have slipped. What, what does what does standards of slip mean? You can only assume that it means, you know, five minutes late to weights or missing a massage here or um, skin folds above a percentage that they should be. They're, they're the little standards that are measured on footy clubs and, and little things add up to big things. It's something that Ken Hinckley is, is really strong on. I can't imagine Ross letting any of that go through to the keeper. Um, so it's going to be, I think it'll be a wake up call for them, um, for the group to have a coach like that come in. He's a bit more of that. Of that, um, of that nature, really demanding from what you've heard. Not that you've been coached from him, but yeah, I, I do think he is he's the right one, and he's defensively minded, which is what they need. We're gearing up for a big day of footy for Dometic. Fuel your adventure with Dometic's outdoor drinkware. Port Adelaide into a home preliminary final for the second year running. The coach Ken Hinckley is with us on Crunch Time. Ken, congratulations and welcome. Thanks, Jared, and yes, thank you for the congratulations. Was it a satisfying night? Yeah, it was. Yep, there's no doubt when you, um, you know, it's it's a long build to get back to a, um, you know, a final series, and and for us it's been a long three year build to get a team that we think's capable of winning a premiership. So it's very satisfying because you, every time you get there, you're always nervous that you're still going to complete the job. So how how acute is that sense, Kenny, of of the journey? Is you won this game last year, so 
it leaves off with an empty feeling at the end of a thrilling preliminary final, and now you go back to the preliminary final. Is there an acute sense of, well, this has been the whole 12 months to get back to this sense, uh, this moment? Yeah. yeah, there absolutely is. There's no doubt that you know that it takes a long time, and you, and you, and you remember the pain of, of losing any finals, to be honest, and you know, you know, we also remember the pain of not being a part of the final. So it takes a long time to get there. It still doesn't guarantee you anything. All you've done is earned the right, um, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be ready for that opportunity when it comes. Uh, Kenny Lepper here. Um, Mitch Georgiades, is he in the best team? We saw the the difference with you, know, a bit tall, a bit smaller. Is he going to come back in, or what do you think? How do you think that's going to end that up in a few weeks? Yeah, interesting, Lever. Look, yeah, yes, yes, simply he's in the best team because we know his best football is pretty important. But, you know, but at the moment we've got a really healthy squad, which we haven't had all year. Now, Mitch played every game bar the first game until last night. So, And he's kicked 32 goals, I think, in, in a season. Any young forward that's capable of doing that and putting scoreboard pressure on is obviously pretty important. But you've also got to balance it, as you said, um, when you get them all available. We haven't been probably faced with this selection issue almost since about round four this year. So it's nice to have the issue. And getting back to last night, obviously you set the game up a little different with Alira Lear just being able to drop off a little bit and intercept Mark. Do you think that's the big difference from the last time you played the Cats, apart from your midfield pressure, which is obviously um, through the roof last night? Yeah, look, I, I think we certainly learned from the Cats. Um, we, we admire the Cats and we know how good they are. And we, you know, we know the damage that the three three forwards did to us last time we played and we knew if we, we approached it the same way, if the supply was similar, they'd probably end up with the same results. So um, mm. we, first and foremost, we needed to change the supply and, and being able to change the supply with our pressure around the footy and our hunt at the ball. It's something we've, we've spent an incredible amount of time on over the last 10 or 12 weeks around the contest. And, um, you know, that allows a person like Aaliyah to play to his best. And, you know, for us, we freed him up a little more last night. It was, you know, it was a little, little courageous to probably go that way for us, but we felt as if our best football's off the back of him playing well. Thought you had one of the great nights in the coach's box, Ken. Who, who makes that call? I mean, That's Burton, nice for you, Kane. <laughs> uh, well, well, you did. I, I, honestly, it was it was phenomenal the way you were able to set up the ground, restrict their uncontested marks. I think they average over 100 for the year. That was a low number. But who, who makes the call? So the confidence to put a Burton on Rowan. I mean, his form has been extraordinary this year, Ryan Burton. Is that you or is that Brett Montgomery or is it a consultation between all of you? No, no one takes credit. We all take it. We all take an involvement in, and we all have a say in on how it works. And that's that's included it. You know, that's Scully and that's Bass and that's Michael Voss and all the people that we have in our team. I mean, it'd be foolish not to use all the information we have and all the um, experience that we have. But ultimately, um, you know, Brett and myself will will, will probably get to a point where it's uh, okay. We've got to make a choice here. It is, and and this is the way we go. And look, we also had some information on our hand, in our hands from the last time we played and the last few times that we've played against Jeremy Cameron, that Tom's played pretty well on him. Um, and we we chose this night to probably put Tom back to him. Mm, um, and you've been really loyal to a few of your players, and that paid off. I mean, you would have heard the calls about Todd Marshall and his form, and the fans getting a bit frustrated. Laddams and Lysett's the same. You've gone with that group again, and that was rewarded last night. You must have been thrilled with that and, and your calls at selection. Yeah, I'm just proud of the boys who get the opportunity to play and play as well as they can. Because we we know, I mean, we know all the information, and you know, um, Leather sitting there. Where you, you you know when you're in, inside the club, you know exactly what people can and can't do, and you know exactly what they mean to the team, whether it's with or without the ball. And we just sometimes overvalue, you know, particularly key forwards, what they do when they mark the ball or if they don't mark the ball. But for us, the, the football smarts that 
that certainly Todd brings our team is incredible. Pete Laddams is, you know, an aerobic beast as a ruckman who can get around the ground and, and he can do things at ground level that not many tall people do. So I just get I just get proud of the boys and the way they keep going to get their jobs done. You've been there twice before. Uh, 2014, you lose by three. Uh, last year, you lose by six. Um, do you, Can you remember what that feels like on grand final day, watching the teams knowing how close you've been to getting there? Um, yeah, you certainly, I think you certainly remember, but because you've been in it a long time and I've been lucky to be there when it's gone the other way as an assistant coach and, and, have, and, and tasted success. So you know what it feels like both ways, but you know, ultimately it, it comes down to the year that you're there and the day that you have to play and, and so many things. And we all say that, you know, the prelim finals are the, are the very, very toughest games to win. And, you know, we've experienced that a couple of times in my time. I'm, I'm, I know we're better placed and better prepared to have a crack at the next one. doesn't give us a guarantee though. Now, Kenny, it seemed last night that you're, you're really happy to play fast and play chaos. And I know it's been a bit of a, a reason Richmond have done well in the past against Geelong. Was that an extra, I guess, message for you last night to, to make the game chaotic, make it faster, lots of pressure and, and make the game, as we know, Geelong like time and possession. Was that a real big thing going into the game? Yeah, look, it certainly was, Lepper, for us to um, to try and keep the game a little bit chaotic. And that was... Um you know, not, not always works because we, we tend to be a high turnover team and we tend to give up a ball a fair bit ourselves. But but we rely on that pressure to win the ball back quickly. But we, as you said, we, we know and everyone knows that Geelong's time possession is a critical component of their game, plus their contested possession. Um, you know, and, and last night we were able to win both those stats. And you, you normally, to be fair, you don't necessarily have to win them against Geelong. you just got to be close enough. And, you know, last night to get in front of them and win them was, was really significant to the outcome of the game. And yeah, it was. It was a really big part of the game that contested the ball. You turned that around. And, and lastly, Sam Pell Pepper, did he give there's a few medical sub naysayers out there, and I think Jared Healy might be one of them. <laughs> but has this given them a little bit of impetus to, you know, to using that strategy? I know um, it, 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 you have to bring players off at a certain time, but do you think the medical sub can potentially be used in the latter stage of this season for a bit more energy, given the fact what Sam Pell Pepper did? I'll, her, I'll answer it, hopefully not. I don't, I don't want to be someone who does it for that reason. But from last night, we were clearly had an issue with uh, Arazzo Fantasia. Mm. You know, and Sam's got enormous power. So he, he's, the other way to look at it, he's the perfect sub if you need to use him because he's got real power. And if you use him, you know, last quarter, last half, you know, if he has to be there for the four quarters, we know he can go the whole game. We've used the sub a lot this year. Um, I think we might even be the highest using team in the comp with the sub. So... We've been unfortunate to have to use it a lot. But, yeah, he's, he's the perfect person to use as a sub if you need to use him. With the injury issues you confronted across the course of the season, Ken, was there a a point of picking, if everything went right, when you might be able to reassemble the team and then almost working backwards to come up with the right sense of timing to have that performance last night? Yeah, with most of the injuries there were, Jared. I think we had... Um, I think we've had, I think it may be something like 17 surgeries this year in our footy club, which is ridiculous in a football season. So they're not little injuries. They're not soft tissue injuries you have to... Um, so a lot of that is controlled by the recovery of, of, of surgery. So there was a little bit of that, but we knew that, that three or four of them, you know, um, Butters, Dersma, Fantasia and Robbie Gray all had surgeries and they are all going to be a certain time frame before they got right. I think critically important that Butters and Dersma were always going to be right about 15, 16 and we always had Robbie penciled in from the time he had surgery for a showdown week. That would give him three weeks leading into the um, finals if everything went well. But, you know, you've got to have a lot of things go right for that to happen. And so far, um, you know, they've been able to go right for us. So in that, as there was a night where uh, three of them came back together 
And I don't, I'm not sure if it was for all the marbles, whether you do that, but you go, okay, so to have them up to speed, we need them to have played X amount of games. So we take our chances and drop them all in at once. Yeah, we certainly did that at one point where we needed to, um, you know, bite the ball a little bit. We brought, I think there was one game we brought the three amigos, as everyone talks about, um, Butters, Dersma and, and Rosie back into the side in the one night. Rosie had only missed a game, but the other two had missed um, something like 12 weeks. But it was more around we need the game and we need the game time to get these boys going. They're probably going to be better in week two and they're certainly going to be better in week four and certainly better in week six. So it was a, it was at a stage where we were just keen to have them back in the side. There's, is there a little bit of Bart Cummings about you, Kenny? <laughs> as you know, I like the races. So it'd be nice to it'd be nice to be as accurate as Bart when the time comes on the big day on Melbourne Cup day. Um, I, I hope that our club can time it and make it to the uh, to first of all make it there, and then secondly give ourselves a great chance when we do get there. Uh, Ken, it's Sam Edmund here. Appreciate your time. Congratulations. I just want to ask you about the pre-finals buy. We know it's obviously gone, but the AFL's determined to, to now have it before the grand final. Don't want you to put the cart before the horse here because obviously you've got a prelim to play. But philosophically, the challenge of potentially one game in three weeks, the game's never been here before. I just wondered philosophically what you thought about that. Oh, if lucky enough that we were to make it through, I'd be happy to play. I don't mind. <laughs> it's just part of the, it's part of the deal, uh, whatever it is. And COVID's been a different deal every every week almost. So we, we just deal with it. What I would say about that is that probably if whatever two teams get through, potentially they, they can face the same leading or, or there might be a game difference. I think that by losing the bye at the end of the round 23, from our point of view, last year we finished on top. We got the bye. We won the first one and we got another bye. I felt like that was a little a little little disruptive for what we'd like to be continuous. I think now we've had the first final done without a break. I think this bye will be very good for us. And, and obviously, if, you, um, if you're lucky enough to win a prelim final or both sides, if that's what happens, um, we'll have to face the same scenario. Kenny, uh, everyone will talk about Aaliyah and Boke and Wines and Fantasia. I want to talk about Jonas. Um, I was shocked when you appointed him as captain. I, I didn't think he was the right call. I, I was wrong in that. Uh, you would have the numbers on the amount of one-on-one contests he lose. He, he, he doesn't lose any, if any. Talk to me about his leadership and the way that he's developed as a leader. Yeah, he's, um, he's a great story, Tom. As we, as we all know, he come from the rookie list from his start of his football career and he's had to fight for every, every part of his football career. He's had to fight. And he certainly doesn't mind fighting. And, um, you know, he was an obvious choice as captain at the time because um, Tom Tom was the leader amongst leaders at the footy club. And, you know, he was the one even for people like that Ole and Hammer and, sorry, Hamish and, you know, Darcy, who's in our part of the leadership. But they'd all go to Tom probably most times if they're looking for some sort of support and advice. And, you know, I had no doubt that Tom you know, Tom leads by example. And as you said, his contest stuff is brutal. He's as, he's as, he's as hard and as tough as any person in the game. And, he takes no prisoners, and that's why he doesn't lose many contests. He puts everything out there. He, he just he just leads them the right way. You know, if you want if you want your footy team to play tough and hard, you need them to be led as much as anything by the tough and hard player. And, and certainly Tom does that well. And I think we've seen you know that 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 Tom and Ollie are the right two people currently to be leading our footy club. And Tom is clearly the captain. And we learned a lot about him uh, last week too, that he's a lawyer, that's right, and he's doing an MBA for a little bit of fun, I think is what he said, Jared, which is quite odd. But he also didn't answer a very important question, which I posed to Ryan Burton, and, and last week, I think it was two weeks ago, Tom Jonas said he could tell me, his answer was, he could tell me, but he'd have to kill me. Why does Michael Voss hold up the 120 sign? It's been intriguing, Vossie won't tell me, no one will tell me, I've got to get to the bottom of this. 
it's a speed we like to go at, Leopard. Oh, finally got the answer. <laughs> hey. Finally. Now, I need to know, what's the 100, top... 120 mile an hour. Is that the top speed, or does it go faster than that, the car? No, we've got a fast, we've got a much faster speed than that. you got a 240 and a 680, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. As, <laughs> as we all know, they're all little signs that our boys know, and they all understand, and... Um, you know, with the change of the runner that came in a couple of years back, we've actually got very good, I think, and the players have got much better at controlling their destiny from on the grass with, um, you know, without the runner, and they know that they now check in a few of those little moments. And there's, you know, most of them, are, if you look at most of them, they're most pretty similar, it's particularly late in quarters. You can almost read each other's signs. So um, they, they work out pretty well, but there's little parts of our game plan that come out. Yeah, it looked like you went at about 3.30 last night. That speed was going right off yeah, the Yeah, we had in overdrive for a bit. <laughs> so to tie it all up, Kenny, um, the accrual of experience, the addition of personnel, do you feel like you are better equipped now than you were when last you headed to a prelim? Yeah, I said, I said that during the week, Joe, that yes, we are, mainly because of the experience that we've had. You know, and, and as I said, this team, we've, been, we've only been probably putting it together for three years, to be fair, and we feel like we've... Gained some experience last year. A lot of we got we got some really mature players. Obviously, Robbie and Trav and Tom and you know, those type of players have got great experience. But we also brought the bottom end of this team together, which was those you know those young boys and you know they've come in and played together and you know they've had an experience of of, of playing finals. Um, they've got to be better prepared for that. They have an understanding of what it takes. You know, I, I think we're better placed. It doesn't mean we're going to get the result we desperately want, but we're going to give it one hell of a shake. I bet you will. Thanks, Kenny, and good luck for what comes next. Go on, your boys. Thanks. Ken Hinckley, the coach of Port Adelaide. That's all for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventure takes you with Dometic's rugged drinkware. We have uh, plenty of time ahead of us to, to set up the day and the night and then tomorrow's footy. But with, with Kane, let's take a few minutes to do it now before we stray to the other issues of the week. And it has been one of the, the busier weeks of the footy season. Kane, it was... So the, the elimination final today, the, the Swans and the Giants down in Launceston, um, it, it is really interesting. The Swans have been on our radar from the earliest days of this season. The Giants have come with a, a flurry at the end. Selection heavily weighted in the Giants' favour with the players they have returning and the players who are untimely outs for the Swans. How are you balancing up what's about to transpire? I can't wait for it because I heard Leon Cameron speak yesterday and he, he's not frightened to say this, this is going to be a brutal game. And, and we're, we are going to go after the Swans. And I think they're one team that does it really well. They're, they're hard to play against, the Giants. And when they come with that attitude to be really physical, yeah, to, to push the boundaries and to push the edge sometimes, and we've seen it before, they've gone over that. And Leon said there's a balance. If you go too far, you'll, you'll step over it. You'll be undisciplined. You'll give away free kicks, which they have done in the past. And if you're too meek and mild, then you know it won't be the contest that you want. There's a balance. I think they've done very well at, at getting that balance right. I still like Sydney. I just think you know the the full season gives you a lot of clues about uh, which team is in a better position. But yeah, no no Mills hurts and no Kennedy really hurts. But I just like the way that they've been able to move the footy and open the other teams up. But it's going to be on, and that's what we love about finals, and I like that that has already been put on the radar by the Giants coach. Would it even further incentivise as to they will have watched last night knowing mm. that the winner gets Geelong? Well, they're in the right half of the draw, aren't they, now? But we do. We, we often get sucked in. We, we often write off the team that loses in the qualifying final, and we speak up the team that wins the elimination final. I suspect that'll happen all next week. The winner of this game will we'll all be saying a oh, Geelong out in straight sets and all that. It's not. It, it has happened, obviously, but it's it's rare for that to happen. 
Um, but they're definitely in the right half of the draw. Back at Adelaide Oval tonight, Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions. <sighs> offense, defense, best offensive team has been spoken a lot about. Once again, I just the season gives you those clues that Melbourne's game is in really good order. Uh, yeah, that that may be like a little bit more potency individually in in their front six, but in the midfield, you know, five time All Australian. Um, Ruckman and captain leading them. Oliver's been the best player probably with Bontempelli this year, Petrarca. So, and defensively, May and Lever for me have been the best defenders in the game. So once again, I favour Melbourne just from the three aspects of the game that they've done probably better than anyone this year. And then tomorrow, the elimination final, five versus eight. Eight has a much better record than you'd imagine in these things. Essendon face the Western Bulldogs. Just the pressure on the Western Bulldogs. Um, unfortunately, they don't get the home final. I think all the support will be for the Bombers down there. Um, you know, it's hard not to think as a player the opportunity that's been missed. On top of the ladder at round 23, we missed the top four. We're three goals up against Port Adelaide. We lose last Friday night. It'd be a different story, wouldn't it? So just just that pressure will boil over. I suspect I suspect the Bulldogs will make a statement, uh, and I think they'll come out and comprehensively beat Essendon tomorrow. It's great to have you back on Crunch Time, Kane. Enjoy oh, what's good to, to come. Be here. Yeah, have a great weekend and we'll speak to you soon. Kano. Good on you. Hey, Kano. Uh, we'll keep going with Justin Lippich shortly, the issues of the week, and we'll delve into these finals, that lion store. This is Crunch Time for the, uh, for the Western Auto Group. They welcome the all-new Jeep Compass and its off-roading capabilities at Werribee Jeep and Caroline Springs Jeep. And for Red Rooster, Jared, it's delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster, available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Court. Crunch Time ahead of today's elimination final in Launceston. It is the Sydney Swans and the Giants to do battle. So a Sydney derby in the finals for the third time. Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich and Sam Edmund with you in the crunch. We kick around all the issues of the week and then we'll zero in on the three finals to come. So Sydney GWS, both teams flew down separately yesterday, Jared. The Swans went down first and I guess this all points to, you know, your ranking in the hierarchy of things after the home and away season. So they got their captain's run down there in Tasmania. GWS had to do all their prep here in Melbourne. And they came down later yesterday. So that's the, the situation that um, has hit those two teams, the Battle of the Bridge down in Tasmania. I think there was a moment on Thursday where <laughs> health authorities and police from Tassie told them that, uh, I'm not sure the hotels are going to be ready for you to come in a day oh, early. You might no. be flying on the day. No. And that was news to everybody, including the AFL in that moment. Yeah. And it led to a lot of behind-the-scenes work to well, try to keep it all on track. Can you imagine the shock? But GWS, as it were, their entire party did get on the same flight. So there, there might have been a thought or a fear, uh, a concern for some period of time. There might have been uh, multiple flights to get them all down there, staff later perhaps, but they are all they all got down there, no worries. What do you think of the All-Australian team, Justin Lepich? Oh, it's one of those hardest things, really. It's like trying to pick, you know, which one of your kids you love the most. They're all good. You know, they're, so by the end, we all start pulling it apart. And I'm right for Daniel Rich. Obviously, a bit of bias in there to, to finally be rewarded and acknowledged for for him. Um, so I think that part was was also um, really good from, from that perspective. But, yeah, but I don't know. Who do you take out? I mean, I know Jake Stringer had a fantastic season and his name's come up a little bit, but... And Jacob Weedering, but you know you've got to kick somebody out to do all these, and every player there, anyone in the top forty should get a jumper, in my opinion, because it, it, it tends to be what happened. And after that, you're splitting hairs, really. So, is the wing a real position? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, look, it, let's not. let's be honest. You're going to pick it of the way, you know, who's the pressure forward? 
Um, so it, all of these things, um, and it's a bit like the Brownlow. I saw the Brownlow predictor. I think the first non-midfielder was like pick 30 in the predictor. And it's become more and more every year a midfielder's type award. The All-Australian, the All-Australian has become, the flanks have become midfielders. Okay, now you've got Petrarca playing the dusty role. Where is that on the ground? Like if you're drawing up the 18 spots on the ground, where do you put that? Do you put him at full forward on the flank or do you put him in the mid? Because he starts in the middle, but he ends up in the forward line. So how do you... The, the modern game, so at Richmond, the way we used to draw up the team is not the way you see it in the in the newspaper. Nothing like it, in fact. So it's the, the game's flipped on its head a little bit um, in how it's sort of the modern day sees the game compared to how it used to be. So w- would you share how you would draw up the team? Well, by, by that, what I mean is you'd have your three keys on the last line, then you'd have, so you'd have like maybe Basher Hoolies playing centre-half back. It'd be like short... Baker, Hooley on the half-back line, and then you'd, you'd have, you know, Vlost and Asprey Grimes on the on the full-back line. So it kind of looks how the game's played. So you've got the back of the bubble, your strongest three, and inside the bubble of players is your, your running players. So it sort of looks how the ground should look as opposed to what you see um, in the paper. So it might be the full forward line a lot of the time was Rewalt, Dustin Martin, and, and Tom Lynch. That was the bottom three. So Dustin and Martin started in the centre square, but where he'd be on the actual board was actually full forward in the game as you'd look at it um, when Dimmer presented it because he starts in the centre square and then, uh, let's say, Kane Lambert had run up and Dusty's just moving to that forward 50 spot anyway. So, yeah, where do you put him on the board? I'll just put him as the full forward and Jack and Lynch are a bit high because they might get a bit higher up the field. So, it sort of it just gives it a different type of look. There's still 18 players on the field, don't get me wrong, but the, the roles are very different to what the tradi- traditionalists think they are. So well, I often have conversations. People, oh, so he's a good centre half forward, and I go, oh yeah, that's right. That's just, you call it that. I don't know what you call it anymore because um, they're so they're, they're different roles now. Five all five all Australians are wearing Melbourne jumpers. I just wonder if Gary Pert had a bit of a heart attack when five of them got in. I don't know if the incentives still exist. I just remember that old story of Brian Cook in 07 when nine, I think, got in and it, it threatened the cap for a time because the incentives were out of this world. But <laughs> great to see Max Gorn named captain. And, and Jacob Wiedering's not there, Jared. So they've gone with a Lear, a Lear, I would have thought. Um, Stephen May was probably always going to get in and maybe it was between Wiedering and a Lear. But... There was a post on Facebook from uh, the 7 AFL account um, in the wake of this team being named, and all it stated was Jacob Wittering has not made the All-Australian team, and the comments flowed in off the back of it. One of those comments belonged to Cam Zerha, the North Melbourne forward, who responded with, I wouldn't have thought so either after Nick Larky kicked seven on him, which was, I thought was a bit rough, a bit rough but I loved, it. I loved it. I loved the banter that uh, Cam Zerha parts with. Did he but tag Larky in on it? He did. did he, he, actually... he tagged Nick Larky in okay. on it. I don't know if Nick Larky, the Suv Larky, ended up responding. Jared, but I mean, those sort of things when you're sitting down to dissect a player like Jacob Wiedering, you look at it and you think, well, geez, he did get a bag kicked on him. And when you're splitting hairs at the very pointy end of the competition, that maybe it did have a, a, a role to play. Yeah, I think um, I think most people would have had a leer ahead of Wiedering. There was always one of those four who was going to miss. It wasn't going to be Lever and May. Mm. And then you have to settle on whether it was a leer and Wiedering. I think. Uh, close, I, I don't, I yeah, of course close. it's close. That that's not that's not controversial though. That, I think they're different. I think they're different players. Yeah. I think Wheatering is more like May to me yeah. than than Ali. Ali often, as we saw last night, plays on a 
smaller player in intercepts. So he's as close to Tom Stewart for me than than he is, I think. You know you're talking about our teams are aligned on the magnet board and the roles they play in our centre forwards almost a bygone yeah. uh, from a bygone era now. Have you got another word for it? The striker term was, was thrown around this year. Have you got any other sort of terminologies that we're not so familiar with? Us sort of outsiders? Um, I, I can give you a couple of names that we had. Um, we had a, a role at Richmond and, I, and it was called Trump. Trump, yes. as in Donald. Yes, and it was because he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Dusty. So that, so Dusty that was, was Trump. I'm going to tell you who it is, but basically when you're playing that the Trump <laughs> role, you can do whatever you want. You can come to stoppage, you can go to full forward. You can go I to, love that. So that was one of the roles. So that we, and they almost sort of made sense in the um, – It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, the, the, and then the Obama role come up, which is the opposite of the Trump role. So the, the strict – Yeah, the more rigid – Accountable. Accountable type role. Obama. So. Yeah, so you want to be Trump? Well, I think I think we all want to be Trump. <laughs> do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. <laughs> That's quite brilliant. I don't suppose the All Australian team will ever head down that the path Trump role. <laughs> it's not. It, it did strike me during the week around the idea of bonuses. It doesn't strike me as sound practice. I'm not sure that if there it still should happens. be financial bonuses. Yeah, so well, the suggestion was that Jake Stringer yeah. missed out on fifty thousand dollars because he didn't get selected. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I would hope that's not true. Well, it was back in back in the day. Certainly, well, Leper could speak to this. It was commonplace. There'd be incentives drawn in for just about everything. Top five in the best and fairest, all Australian, um, Coleman medal, whatever it might be, Brownlow medal. Yeah. I think a lot you, of that stuff want... came back with the reduction yeah. of the soft cap and the salary cap. It but... just struck me that you would want incentives that were actually controlled by the club, wouldn't you? Rather than yeah. this collective yeah. who are serving a totally different purpose. Yeah, the best and fairest or something like that. Um, it, it's a good point. I, I never had incentives in my last five or six seasons. I think it really depends on where you are um, on the pecking order. If, if, like, for instance, you wouldn't – Patrick Dangerfield doesn't need incentives. You know where he's going to be. If you're paying incentives on top of Patrick Dangerfield, you might as well just add in whatever the incentive is because he's probably going to reach it anyway. So it's normally for those mid-type players or lower players, so a kid that might have a breakout year and say, well, if you play 22 games, and it should be a small figure, we'll give you 20 grand. It shouldn't be like if you win the All-Australian, we'll give you 80, because that could throw out your whole... What was the figure? 50. That that was what was written. And when I read it, I thought, surely that's not the case anymore. No, it's a big figure, though, isn't it? Today, <laughs> you wouldn't be putting his name up for all Australian, would you? No, if you're the that was people. the other thing. I, I've got to put my hand up. I did not know, and it, it's not a compulsory thing. Not every club does it, but that you make recommendations on behalf of your club for the people you think should be all Australian. And some clubs do it. Some clubs take it really seriously, and other clubs don't bother doing it at all. I learned something in the process. I had no idea that took place, Stuart. That's just weird. That's strange. It's well. mm. either take ownership of it or don't. It's pretty odd. It is pretty odd, but uh, nevertheless, that's what we're told happens. And some clubs put through their list, and other clubs don't bother at all. And other clubs just put through a. It was all relating to the Travis Boak situation. And my understanding is Port Adelaide didn't nominate Travis Boak to get in. They thought they had others: Ollie Wines, Ali Ali, the guys that got nominated. And they only nominated, I think, three. And Travis Boak was not one of those. The coaches' award is. It's going to be exactly as the Brownlow is. Midfielders, as far as the eye can see, mm. which is instructive. So after the Brownlow, I can plug the calls in now on the Tuesday morning, the flood of people who say it's just a midfielder's award. And yet the game is clearly a midfielder's game. The the coaches who have total Mm. control over both theirs and the opposition when they sit down to watch and analyse a game and distribute credit, they go for the midfielders on both sides of the coin. Yeah, and I think maybe slowly over the course of the last 30 years, it's the game's because the game's been kicked to contest far less than it ever has, and the ball gets handballed a lot around the midfield. And 
yeah, they, there's more possession in the game than there ever has been, so they get more of the ball. Uh, that that's probably what's created more of that as well. Um, is is that, and their numbers are more impressive when you look at the stat sheet as well. Which often people look for that evidence, just for that final yep tick off. I'm, I'm okay in my own brain that he was a better player, but it, it is hard because the midfielders get more opportunity. Um, then the guys at the bookends get more opportunity. So how to reward that, it, it is a challenge. I almost feel at times that we need a separate award, almost as something like that, Defensive Player of the Year or something, that the, whether we need to grow this part of it. The Brownlow's been the same, same voting system forever. But whether it's, it needs to go down another tack, a bit like the NFL do, they reward separate offence-defence parts of the, the game. Um, yeah, and look, you're not going to give the tagger or like a tagger's award or anything like that, but at least it needs to identify some some other parts of the game. We won't stray too far into the trade bell territory, Sam, but so obviously the, the headline of the week was uh, Cherit was the first to tip his hands, the first active piece in the trade market. Uh, yep, Fremantle's season finished, and just a couple of days later, Jared, he told the Fremantle Dockers, Peter Bell, there as well, that he wanted a trade back to Victoria. All roads lead to the Blues purely because they're the only club genuinely that is a contender for his signature at the moment, Jared, in the sense that they've got the draft capital and the financial capital to make it happen. Up until a couple of days ago, they had not had any direct conversation with the player himself, but obviously via his management, there's been some um, manoeuvrings around how this deal might look. So the Blues have got to give up their first-round pick, which is six, will become eight um, once those father-sons come into play. I think if they go down the path of splitting it, it's not going to happen with the Fremantle Dockers, who are going to drive a really hard bargain here. Um, in fact, Ben Allen, who we've got for Sporting Life tomorrow, said they should definitely ask for two first-round picks. That won't be happening. So there's going to be – this will be the watch this space now over the next month, the haggling over how this deal looks. I think it'll be the first-round pick and then maybe a, a second-rounder or a shuffling of a second and a third. Futures might come into play as well. But it'll it'll happen. Adam Cheryl getting his way to the Blues. And the other myth that was dispelled that he's never had an issue – and I know Ross Lyon spoke to this as well – with Ross Lyon in his playing days at the Fremantle. Dockers, they got along fine. That one just snowballed a little bit out of control. So I think all roads lead to him um, joining the Blues on the magnet boards. Makes a lot of sense. He wants to play with Sam Walsh. He wants to play with Paddy Cripps as well. So they desperately need him too, Carlton, I would have thought. Does it make sense to you, Lepper? Yeah, it's a, it'd be a great addition for the Blues next season. They've got their bookends of their ground, you know, really in great order. And to add him to that, you know, you're talking a ready-made midfielder too. So you don't have to wait the three seasons you know, he's got the Zabara Juddy term, he's got the training wheels off, so he's ready to go in that in that space, space of the ground. So it's an obvious choice for me and makes a lot of sense. Speaking of Juddy, when he went into the Hall of Fame, those highlights were just something else. You played in the round oh, 12 we go. 2003 game, so yeah. the Judd game. Yeah. Is that vivid for you? Yeah, the ball just went over my head for a whole game. He literally started as a half forward, and then, you know, I'm sort of, I was playing a bit deep. He'd run past him. I'd literally watch the ball solo over my head for the whole game, and who is this kid? He was amazing. So, uh, the, the funny part about that, I think he was getting tagged after two weeks. I think the second team that came up against him started tagging him. So, yeah, amazing player, Chris Chart. What a superstar he was. He played Waffle first week and they got up and said, uh, enjoy that because that's the last time you'll ever see Chris Chart yeah. playing in the Waffle again. Oh, superstar he was. Yeah. And here he is in the Hall of Fame. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Western Auto Group. The future of compact SUVs has finally arrived at Caroline Springs. Jeep and Werribee Jeep. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, it's available at selected restaurants. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley-Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details.
Each week we harness the inner coach of Justin Lepich, the Harley Heaven Rev Up for Harley Heaven. Still your home of Harley Davidson during lockdown, harleyheaven.com.au. I feel like it is best deployed here for the Bulldogs. Yep. Um, when the, it was 2019, West Coast blew the top four in the last game against Hawthorne. And it sat really heavily over them. They couldn't have a conversation in the week following without referencing missing the top four. They took the soft kill against Essendon in an elimination final and then got blown off the park in their semi-final as soon as they came to the MCG. How And there is a bit in a lot of what you hear out of the Bulldogs is still referencing missing the top four. How vital is it to expunge that from your system and just go about the business in front of you and winning the elimination final tomorrow. Yeah, you don't want to be in mourning for too long, do you? Because they've got another task at hand. So it's hard. It, it, it will still sit in the back of their brain, at the opportunity that they've let slip, um, the, the doggies. But they, they've got no other option but to move on. Um, and, and just, it, <laughs> really, it's, what else can you do? Um, but are they capable of doing it? I think so. I'd probably look at the game a little bit more. I think they need... They need something else in their game, apart from just their best plays just being in slightly better form. But the fact that a Steph Martin's not there, which I think he's the guy that could have given them a bit more grunt. And I know Luke spoke about, and he's right, there's more to just doing a hit out in a game of footy. But I think what he does in that space would have really given them a bit more that spark, that impetus. I don't know what spark they're getting to change. It's just they've got to get the same team out there again, basically, to provide a spark. It's always great when you get the odd change and someone comes in and crashes a pack and you look a bit different. They, so they're not going in with that looking a bit different. Um, they're probably just lucky that um, Nick Hine went and grabbed a chicken and he's not there and for the weekend because that probably those little things are, are the things that are going to help them on the weekend. I think. Mm. Uh, Steph Martin, it was roll the dice time for me, but and I think they would have Jared, but he just pulled up sore. He pulled up sore. He pulled up sore. So they, the decision was made for them in the end, which which is a great shame. And they've gone back to Lewis Young as well. So. So they did everything they could to ensure Tim English didn't ruck so last they, week. I wonder what happens. Yeah, so they're playing English now forward again, and mm. or he come off the bench and pinch hit 50-50 because his forward work was okay with it, you know. So, yeah, there's still a few questions, isn't there, for them, what their best team looks like, which is not ideal going into your first final. No. And Bond doing boundary throw-ins as well. So you've got your Rolls-Royce, in the, in the, admittedly, just for boundary throw-ins, which some people are on board yeah, with. Yeah, that's but not a big deal. That's, yeah. that, I mean, a boundary throw-in is just a side-by-side uh, battle, really. So you don't get jumped into. Mm. You don't jump in the air, so you won't land. You shouldn't land awkwardly if you're just sort of planting yourself. But when so. English is in the vicinity, why wouldn't he? When he's five metres yeah. away, why wouldn't he be doing the I don't boundary? Have, oh, I don't have an answer for that one mm. because, you know, I would have thought you took the ones from the forward fifty stoppages. Yeah. You think giving it to forward fifty. Mitch stoppage, Hannon was ru- Mitch Hannon. Yeah, yeah. You, you probably swapped the roles there. That could have been as simple as a communication mm. error, or it's it's a plan. Uh, but yeah, you think if he's in that vicinity, he should do it. Mm. Would you? It, it's really interesting what he does again. So last week, you go with um, Young, and it's um, you plan for a losing strategy, and you lose. Do you do that again in an elimination final? Do you go, actually, do you know what? Is Tim English is the closest thing we have to a number one ruckman? Go and ruck for 80% of the game. And at least let's start there. Yeah, that's right. I, I probably You probably have to, but if, if they've almost missed that. You know, this, I guess how long do you stick with a player for that you don't think? You think they're going to be great in the long term, but just aren't doing the job at that, this point in time. And maybe he just used up a lot of those tickets. The, the problem is, I think... 
you're coming up against Draper, who is is the you know the, the young young mummy we can call him because he is sort of that combative, you know, rampage. He's got that terrible lysette haircut as well as a ruckman, so he's got all that. He's got all the opposites. He doesn't have the smooth athletic qualities that English does, but he has the grunt and bash and hit all the things you want and need in a final. So, do you just go? All right, we'll pair you up against that guy, you know, and 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 then cross our fingers and hope. Or do you think, well, Young just sort of hits the body a bit more and can maybe just bring it to ground and just give our ground level guys a chance just to do the work. So he may not they, – so they won't get sweet hits. You know, he'll just do enough to crash and cause chaos. So mm. I think that's why Bevo's gone down that path. But just a, just a guy that can crash and cause chaos and make sure the oppo can't get a clean hit. And he can play elsewhere, which we know Luke Beveridge loves yeah. that adaptability, whereas Jordan Sweet, he's a ruckman and he's a ruckman only. You've got – Channel 7 duties tonight, tonight Melbourne yes. and the Lions. What do you reckon? Well, I've tipped the Ds, and my mate Danny Daly is very upset with me back <laughs> in Brisbane. He's like, oh, I listened to that. I'm not happy with you. So I still think it'll be a very close game, though. And, it, and look, they're both these teams, obviously, I think they're the two informed teams, to be honest. I, I'm really excited about how this could end up. And it wouldn't surprise me if Brisbane won, um, only off the back of the Melbourne aren't the most dynamic scoring opportunity team. So they're not going to blow you off the parker, and Brisbane have a great defensive integrity themselves. So it's going to be a great a great battle. And we're a couple of hours away from the Swans and the Giants. Yeah, I, my first thoughts are always that the turnover team's always the one that gets you on the outside and better. But then I look back to the Giants and think about their contested work, um, you know, what they've done in finals when they've taken the game to the opposition like they did with the Doggies. Um and the fact that Leon likes to get a little bit of a fight and bash up, and I think, oh, this is a 50-50, but I'm leaning the Swans. Lepa, have a great day of finals footy. Sam, thank you. Can't wait, Jared. Anthony Hudson, Dwayne Russell, Nick Del Santo, Adam Cooney coming up. Crunch time has been for Western Auto. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. A group elevate your adventures with the new Jeep Compass. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.